0: There's anybody there? There we go. Okay, there you are. There. Uh, I trust you've had a good Christmas. We've had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, My wife's folks have been with us, and you're here with us today. That's been excellent. It's just kind of brought a smile to my face this morning as I hopped in the car and was leaving a little bit before the rest of the family. And my son Michael's got his video camera that he got for Christmas yesterday, and my son Mark's got his scooter, and he's going up and down our road on his scooter, and Michael's just videoing him, just, just like, I mean, he's, he got a tripod too, so he looked really professional, he's out there with a, with a tripod on the side of the road, videoing his brother going up and down the street, so uh, it was, we, we just had a really good day yesterday, and, and I trust you did too, I hope you're eager and ready to get into God's word this morning, that's what we're gonna do now, in John's gospel, the first miracle That Jesus uh, performs was turning water into wine at Galilee and it was the first of many big and and glorious and public miracles that he did that was maybe one of the smaller ones but early in John's gospel we see uh, miracle after miracle that's that's very public and very grand and shows Jesus glory and his power when we come to chapter 13 And there's a huge shift, because in chapter 13 is is really the beginning of the road to the cross for Jesus. Before chapter 13, you might remember uh, not only the miracle of turning water into wine, but you might remember the feeding of the 5,000. Just imagine the impact that would have, feeding 5,000 people plus the miraculous way that he did. Or another one of the the big uh, miracles would have been the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead for four days. Uh, the grieving process has, has begun. The, the funerals uh, ha, have happened. Jesus shows up on the scene, and, and now he is alive. This, this would make some headlines. Word would travel fast. His miracles were very public and showing forth his glory. But in chapter 13, he comes to a place where things shift. And he says... I am now going to show the full extent of my love. And so I think if we were reading John's gospel for the first time, and we came to chapter 13, we would be thinking, wow, what are we going to see now? He's done all of these grand, big things. And he says, I want to show the full extent of my love to my people, to my disciples. And I think if we were reading this this whole gospel straight through, and if we could read it through for the first time, when we come to chapter 13, that we would be in a similar place that the disciples were and that they were absolutely shocked that he would wash their feet. That's, that's the shift that takes place. And that's this, this unexpected, amazing thing that happens in chapter 13. Very different compared to the things that have been happening previously. And so as we look at God's word today, uh, I want us to ask the question, why is Jesus doing this? Why does he wash the feet of his disciples what does this have to do with our lives? What does he want to say to us? And uh, and, and also I want to answer the question, does, does He? at one point we're going to see in today's passage, he says, I want you to wash one another's feet. Is that really what he's after here, that we would uh, take off socks and shoes uh, this morning or uh, regularly and wash one another's feet? We're going to answer that question too. But before we uh, get into God's word, let's pray once again, let's bow our heads, and then uh, we will get into this. Father in heaven, Uh, We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you that you have given us your revealed will for our lives uh, in writing in the Bible. And so I pray on this day after Christmas that you would just awaken our minds now, that you would give us a hunger if we didn't come in this morning with a hunger for the Word of God, that you would give that to us. And Father, I pray that we would not be merely hearers of the Word this morning, but that we would be doers, that your Holy Spirit would work through the words in John 13, 1 through 17, in such a way that it would lead to changes in our hearts and in our actions. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we are in John chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and it's page 900. And you will do well to grab one of those and pull it out because we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the text this morning in John 13, 1 through 17. Again, it's on page 900 in those Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And uh, I'm going to begin reading verses 1 through 5. It says, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So we're told here the setting, the beginning of verse one, that it was about. It was just before the Passover feast. And so we have a pointer here in the very first words at this transition point in John's gospel uh, of, of, of a pointer to the Passover which you might recall was this, this great event uh, in, in Israel where those uh, believers, those who trusted and obeyed God, posted with the, the blood on, on the doorposts, and the angel of death passed over, and the firstborns were saved by the blood of the Lamb. And that is one of the major themes in the Gospel of John is that the Lamb who will be slain for the world is coming. And so we have somewhat of an allusion to that right here. It's just before the Passover feast, and Jesus is shifting his focus. He knows, look again at verse 1, he knows that the time has come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And then it says, having loved his own, and I think we're referring here really to the 12, to the apostles, having loved his own, uh, his own people, his own disciples, he now showed them, the NIV says, the full extent of of his love. And I want to comment on that just briefly, this this statement. It's a beautiful expression. But in, in the original, what it says in many of your translations will say something like this, that he loved them to the end. Probably how many of your translations say that? Probably the majority of them or a lot of them say that. He loved them to the end. And John is is famous for, for being just a great literary guy. And he has uses lots of simple language like loving them to the end that has double meanings and has these profound meanings. And so what is really being said here is that Jesus is, is making the shift and he's wanting to show them his love in two ways. One of them is showing them the full extent of his love by washing their feet and by serving them. And he's wanting to show his disciples the kind of love that disciples ought to have for one another. And so that's one of the meanings. But in the other meaning, and the profounder meaning, and the bigger meaning, is that he's wanting, to sh- he's wanting to show his love to them until the end, the end being the cross, the end being the greatest expression of, of humiliation and of love that anyone has, has ever seen or will ever see. And he's wanting to show them both of these things. And so... Uh, The the, the word here uh, showing them his love to the end is the same word that's used by Jesus when he's on the cross. And uh, they offer him a drink and he says it is finished. He says tetelestai and the word that's used here is the word telos. And so there's a link grammatically and there's a link theologically and there's this big picture here of Jesus showing his full extent of the love uh, to his disciples both by washing their feet and by Uh, what is going to come. So let's come back to the passage here, verse uh, 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and then he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up, and he does this amazing thing, and he washes their feet. And I want to make a few comments uh, about this. Uh, observations about what he's done here. He is the first answer. We're going to have three answers to this question: Why does Jesus wash the feet of his disciples? The first one is to show them the full extent of his love. It's the first of these two meanings behind uh, th- this this word in verse w- verse one. But I want to make a few observations about this: uh, Why he is doing this. Uh, number one, it's strategic. Jesus Jesus has a plan and a strategy. And he is wanting to teach his disciples something. And by extension, he's wanting to teach us something this morning as well. And if you remember, throughout all of the Gospels, there's kind of a a battle going on amongst the disciples about who's going to be the greatest, uh, who's going to be at the right hand, who's going to have these positions of prominence. Uh, You know, if if we flush that back, we go back to the core of that problem. The problem is pride. The problem of his disciples then and now A huge problem for us is pride. And so Jesus is strategically wanting to show them, if you're going to be a follower, he's wanting to show us, if we are going to be one of his followers, you have to be this kind of person. And so it's strategic. In Luke chapter 22, uh, Luke wrote this, and there also arose a dispute among them as to which one of them were was regarded to be the greatest. And he said to them the kings of the gentiles lorded over them and those who have authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. But let him who is the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the servant, for who is greater the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. And the disciples had a hard time getting this and we have a hard time getting this. We want prominence. We want the praise of man. We want others to look to us as important. And Jesus is taking this radical turn. I want to give you kind of a picture of the whole book here. Think of all these great and grand miracles that he's done. And he takes this turn. He says, I want to now spend my time with the 12, and by extension us as followers today, and show them the full extent of my love. And he does this totally crazy thing. By washing their feet. And I want to make a few more observations about how and why this is crazy. Uh, It's inconvenient. What he is doing is uh, is just on a practical level inconvenient. Look at verse 2. The evening meal was being served. Uh, John tells us all these details have reasons and and important uh, things for us to see behind them. Uh, Normally, you would arrive at a home for dinner And there would be a servant or a slave there that would wash your feet. And that obviously hasn't happened here in this setting. And I think we can make the conclusion that there wasn't anyone there to do that. But Jesus strategically waits until the meal has already begun. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when the meal has begun, I'm interested in the food. I'm interested in eating. I'm interested in... At least Jay is with me on this. Um, there's maybe a few other smiles of resonance I see out there. But once the meal has begun, you want to eat. This, this was a special time. This was a sacred time. They had to know that there was something new going on. There was a shift. There's a change in what's happening. And they were probably so excited to be with him. And, and the meal is being served. And he breaks away from that to wash their feet. It's totally unexpected. And the third observation, this is totally unexpected. They aren't looking to have their feet washed. They're not looking for this. They've skipped over this. Their their, their feet weren't that smelly that day. Uh, Whatever. But they're they're not looking for this. This tells us something about the kind of love that God wants us to show to others as well. Uh, This isn't just meeting needs uh, where people scratch and we need to itch there Jesus is very strategic in what he's doing they are not interested really in having their feet washed but he has another purpose so it's strategic it's inconvenient it's unexpected and it's culturally radical what he is doing we're going to see this in Peter's response you're familiar with this story most of you but this is culturally radical uh, the ESV study Bible puts it this way. It says, Jesus' act is all the more remarkable as washing people's feet was considered to be a task reserved for non-Jewish slaves. So here we have the Messiah, the Savior of the world, uh, the, the Creator of the world, who was there. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Here we have God in the flesh. They don't fully grasp all this, but they know this, this is our guy. This is our Lord. This is our Savior and he takes on the position that many Jews would say that no Jew should do at all, uh, but a non-Jewish slave. So Jesus is, is doing something culturally that's radical and unexpected. And then a fifth uh, observation is that it's unconditional. Um, it's unconditional. And I get that from, um, in, in John chapter 13, one of, only two people are mentioned. And one of them is Judas. Uh, in verse 2, we're told that the devil has already prompted Judas Iscariot, and then he's mentioned again, not by name, but as one that has not yet been washed in chapter, in verse 10. And I think John and the Holy Spirit through John is sending us a message here that G- Judas was, was present with the other 11, with the 12 of them, and that Jesus washed Judas's feet, the, the, the one who would betray him. The one who, uh, it it has been said it would have been better off had he not been born. Uh, But yet Jesus chose to wash his feet. And it says something about us as his followers. And the kind of lack of condition or the lack of uh, reciprocalness. What's that word? Reciprocity. There we go. Help me out here. Um, You know, we we often tend to, if we're going to lower ourselves and serve others we're very eager to do that for someone that's going to do it back to us. Or at the very least, someone who's going to appreciate it. Maybe we don't want them to do it back to us, but we want them to appreciate our service. And Jesus is, is doing this completely radical thing, taking on the position of a slave, and he includes Judas in this foot washing. So number one, he's wanting to show them the full extent of his love. And then... Let's move on to the second section here, which is verses 6 through 11. It says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, my hands, and my head as well. Peter's kind of an interesting guy here. I mean, we know his personality. He is bold. He recognizes Jesus as Lord, but he is shocked that Jesus is going to do something like this. He has a hard time allowing this person that he's looking up to, rightly looking up to, the Messiah, the Savior, he has a hard time with him washing his feet. And there is a message for us in here, and it is that as his followers, as his disciples, not only do we need to take low positions to serve other people, but we also need to be willing to be served. Uh, the, the message, by the time we get to the end of this passage, we're going to see is, is really primarily here for one another, for those within the body of Christ. And so we not only need to serve, but we need to be willing to be served. And this is, this is a really hard thing. Uh, One one commentator writes this. He says, Man's humility does not begin with the giving of service. It begins with the readiness to receive it. For there can be much pride and condescension in our giving of service. Our our sin is profound. And there can be massive sin and and pride in the way that we serve others even. And so part of following the Lord is allowing others to serve us. Uh, He goes on, he writes, We would gladly wash the feet of our divine Lord, but he disconcertingly insists on washing ours and he bids us to wash our neighbor's feet. So I think some of us here this morning uh, need to hear through the word of God, through what's happening here with this interaction with Jesus and Peter, some of us need to be humbled, be like our Savior, uh, be like Peter rather, and be willing, to, 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 to be willing to be served by someone else. Uh, we... Um, our family we had just some great christmas celebrations uh, christmas eve christmas day these last this last week but one of them was was earlier in this week with a friend of ours uh, named anna uh, anna's here in the in the white hat and i uh, see mary and lloyd upton uh, here we met her just around the corner here uh, last week at uh, burger king and we had a bunch of presents and lloyd and mary brought some presents And uh, we gave them to her. One of them was uh, sunglasses. My son got her some sunglasses at the dollar store, and she was pretty happy with those. But the Lord kind of spoke to me through um, this exchange um, that we had there, which was all one way. Uh, We were all giving gifts to her, and she didn't have anything to give to us. And I hadn't really thought through that dynamic, and she was just happy and delighted to have all these things. But at the end, she made some comment about, You know, I I don't have anything to give to you guys. And yet she was still okay with receiving all of these gifts. She was really a a picture, a model of humility to me. I probably would have had a hard time with that. It wasn't her birthday. It wasn't something about her. It was Christmas time. And she was able to receive and not give. So humility is not only about getting low and serving others, but it's also about being willing to be loved and served by others. And then we see Peter struggling with that here. So let's come back. Where are we Uh, at verse 10? Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So we get really the second answer to our question and why Jesus is washing uh, the feet of the disciples here in this section. And the second answer is to symbolize the cleansing power of the cross. So the washing of the feet is is happening on two levels. One is we need to be willing to do these kinds of things to one another, but this is also a pointer to the cleansing of the soul by faith in the Messiah. We see this, look again at verse 10, where Jesus says, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. What he is saying there is, you disciples are already clean. They are his followers, even though they are strugglers, even though they have pride, even though they are sinning, even though they, they are still jockeying for the place of, of prominence. Just as we are still sinners, they are his. They have been washed clean by their faith in him. And, and this foot washing is symbolizing the act that's going to come, come later, the act of Jesus dying on the cross. And in verse 11, he makes this comment that there was one who was going to betray him. And he was not clean. So it wasn't that his feet weren't washed. Judas's feet were washed. But that inner reality of being regenerated, of being born again, of being a, a follower of Christ has never taken place in Judas' life. Even though he walked like the other disciples, he smelled like the other disciples, he was doing the things the other disciples were doing. He was having his feet washed by Jesus. He was at the meal, but he was not a disciple. He was not one of his followers. And Jesus is, is doing, this, doing this to point them To the cross. So it symbolizes the cleansing power of the cross. And then let's look at this last section here, verses 12 through 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Let's just pause here for just a second. You know, if we read this in a real literal way, you could think, well, Jesus is after us washing each other's feet. And probably all of us have maybe gone to a retreat or we've seen this happen um, even on a stage at a worship service or on a platform or or in different settings. And I don't think those things are are wrong or that those things shouldn't, shouldn't happen. But I don't think at all that that is really the message of John chapter 13, that he wants us to wash one another's feet. The practical, concrete message here, uh, the smaller message, the big message is this is pointing to the cross. The smaller message is that God wants us as his followers, as disciples, to get low and to serve other people in concrete specific ways that are unexpected that are radical that crosses cultural barriers that that people probably aren't even asking for and we serve them in ways that unmistakably point them to the cross that's what this passage that's what Jesus is saying here at the end of this passage that's what this part is about not trying to get us to to have another uh, ceremony or, or symbolism and ceremonies and symbolism can be great but I don't think that's primarily what's happening here One commentator comments on this. He says, uh, The heart of Jesus' command is a humility and helpfulness toward brothers and sisters in Christ that may be cruelly parodied by a mere rite of foot washing that easily masks an unbroken spirit and a haughty heart. What he wants us to do, what he wants you and me to do as we read this passage, is to contextualize it. I don't think he wants us to wash each other's feet, but he wants us to think, what is it that, that would be unthinkable? That because it would be such a, a low way to serve someone else, uh, that I could show love and just in just, an, just a, an amazing way and point someone to the cross. And this is the point where where preaching gets really hard because I don't have a clue really what you sh- how you specifically should respond to this passage. Uh, I want to try and and give you uh, give you a couple pictures of that, and l- let me even do that right now just briefly. I, I could think of a husband who um, who perhaps you know just. Whether it was taught to him or just his mindset is uh, that he uh, he doesn 't really do dishes he doesn 't really change diapers he he doesn 't really do those kinds of things. It might be hard to imagine that there 's a man out there that thinks that way, but just imagine with with me if you will that there might be a man who thinks that way and uh, and he doesn 't do any of these things. That man might read this passage and respond by doing the dishes by changing the diaper or whatever you fill in the blank and and when the wife says my goodness honey <laughs> why are you doing this? You have never done this sort of thing before and the answer to that question is is right here. It has to do with the gospel. It has to do with me being a follower of Christ and this is why I'm going to do whatever it is to show the love of Christ to, to you, uh, my wife and Uh, again, this is where preaching gets really hard. And so I'm just relying on the Holy Spirit and I'm praying that he's going to be showing you and and leading you specifically in how you should respond to this passage. We have just a couple other verses and then I want to show you a picture of of how one man has applied this uh, passage. Uh, Verse 16, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So I, I, I've done these things for you, Jesus is saying, and now it's your turn to do them and you will be blessed if you can do that. I and mean, in case you're thinking that, that you're not going to do something this radical, what he's saying in this last verse here where he says in verse 16, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. What he's saying is, you know that I'm greater than you and this is what I have done and I'm calling you to do these kinds of things. There's no exception here. There's, there, there's, there's no way out. I'm calling you as my disciples. And by extension, he's calling us as his disciples to get low and to serve others in ways that point people to the cross. So the third and final point is, why does he wash his disciples' feet? To show his disciples that to follow him is to humbly serve others. And for you, it may be a very simple thing that happens in the home, in your marriage relationship, or with your family, or with your co-workers, But I believe that God is calling each of us to respond to this passage in some concrete way where he's calling us to serve in humility someone else. Um, Maybe it's someone like Judas, someone that has even betrayed us, someone that is the last person that we really want to serve or show this kind of love to. That may be the kind of person that God is calling you to this morning. I'm going to show you this uh, film. It's just a couple minutes long that to me is an example of a man who saw a category of people that needed love and assistance in a way that he could lower himself um, and and love them in the way, in the spirit of John 13, of washing the disciples' feet. And, and, And this was huge. This was a big decision. This wasn't doing the dishes for the wife. This was a major transformation in his life. I want you to take a look at this.
1: When I started this clinic, I was hoping that more doctors would follow my lead and join me, maybe even part-time, but no one did. And in fact, over the last eight years, it seems like I've become somewhat of a pariah or an outcast. When I used to work in the ER, I was making good living, very comfortable. We saw a number of uninsured patients, and uh, I recognized that a lot of these patients were, were my neighbors, some of them literally my neighbors, people like barbers. Sawmill operators, workers at convenience stores, mechanics. I had to see these people every day who I know could be treated more compassionately, more cost-effectively in another setting. I felt like basically even though I was working in the ER, I was walking around them and I was not being a neighbor to them. Kept asking myself the question, is this what a good Samaritan would do? I really sensed in my heart that God wanted me to provide medical care for these people outside of the ER, and who was I to question what God wanted to do. Uh, About eight years ago, I opened Patmos Merger Clinic uh, to provide care for the uninsured. On average, I have about 5,000 patient visits a year. About 60% of those don't have insurance. About 25% have high-deductible commercial insurance. So, how are you feeling today? Didn't uh, sleep very well. <laughs> Did you take your blood pressure medicine this morning at all? No. No. Okay. I all right. A lot of people thought what I was doing was foolish, and they probably were right. Uh, in the eyes of the world, I think it is foolish. But God has a, a different strategy. He tends to choose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Taking care of the uninsured—that's the ultimate foolishness in healthcare today. The last eight years trying to more authentically be a follower of Christ is um, a lot of times a struggle. Struggle financially. I've foregone quite a large amount of income. The struggles of recognizing that my skills are deteriorating from the ER, but the biggest cost really would probably be with my kids because I've foregone putting money aside for their college education. My kids didn't have a choice in that. and. That, that, that bothers me. I wonder sometimes if it's really worth it. I could work maybe a shift or two in an ER a week and do as well financially as I am now and have a lot more time off to do other things, spend time with my family. Don't know. How you doing?
0: I've been worried about my toe. This morning it was swelled and throbbing real bad.
1: You weren't going to go to the ER. Uh, the reason you weren't going to go to the ER? Well, I mean that thing needed to be expensive. fixed. Expensive. Expensive. Hey, I'm being garnished for 12 years ago. Well, let's take a look at it. That's tender right there. Those press right there, or just half? no? It's just in certain places. I'm gonna we'll get you basically. 20 days worth of this medicine to take twice a day. All right. Did we get you the work excuse? No. <laughs> Joe was a guy who um, got good care who wouldn't have gotten good care. That's that's satisfying. He would have been another invisible casualty of our healthcare system. Somebody who would have fallen through the cracks and somebody I was able to help. Take it easy now.
0: I'll do it. All right,
1: say. It's been worth the risk, I think, because I, kind of afraid of the type of person I would have become had I continued doing what I was doing. To become more hardened, and callous, and willingly blind.
0: Scripture is calling us to be humble servants and to store up treasure for heaven and to take risks. And those risks may be something really simple, maybe in your relations within your family. That risk may be something very profound, like changing your job. But Christ is calling us as individuals and and as a congregation to be the kind of people that will get low to serve others in ways that are unexpected, that are cross-cultural, that are radical, that are unexpected, that are, that are not anticipated or, or not necessarily what people are seeking. But we're going to do that in order to point them to the cross. That's what God wants to say to us through John 13. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven,